You are listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. Well, amen. I'm going to ask you to remain standing. Take your Bibles to turn to James chapter 1. Titus, Titus, before you go out the door, Titus looked at me during the worship and then I was looking up at me. He said, when can I be baptized? And uh, boy, I love that. And we're going to be working on that. We've got a baptismal service coming up. And for those that have made decisions that want to follow through in baptism, we'll be doing that um, in the next two to three weeks. So we'll be getting ready for that. But we're in James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Last week, I, I kind of uh, spun off verse 12 there to talk about to talk about hell and to talk about what we're saved from. But I want us to go back and I want us to pick up there about verse 12. And let's begin reading. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he's dragged away and enticed. Then after the desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Let's pray again, Lord, we love you. We give you all the glory and honor. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I remember years ago, I was uh, speaking at the Baptist Student Union, BSU. I was speaking at Delta State. And while I was at Delta State, I attended what, what they call a January Bible study that was being taught by Dr. Harold Bryson. He was a professor of preaching. And Harold Bryson was talking about James. And one of the things that he said was that when you go through James, when you're preaching through James, it's kind of a mural. It's kind of of abstract art. It's kind of like a hodgepodge of all kinds of different subjects and topics that are kind of put together by the Holy Spirit. But it's it's like like I said, it's few weeks ago it's almost the new testament book of proverbs it's like proverbial statements you can't seem to work your way chronologically or logically through the book of james it's like it has differing themes and you're kind of jumping around and that's what we're doing james is the 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 one who wrote this book is the half brother of jesus Now, we say half-brother because he's the son of Joseph and Mary. Remember, Jesus is the Son of God. James is not initially a believer. He's the oldest sibling. In other words, Jesus and then James. So Jesus, right under him, his little brother, would have been James. James wrote this letter to the tribes, uh, the 12 tribes of Israel, the Jewish people that are scattered all over the Roman Empire. And he's giving counsel 
guided by the indwelling Holy Spirit. Now in verses 2 through 5, we talked about this. James talks about trials, suffering, difficulty, and these people knew it well. And he said, listen, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing this, that the testing of your faith is working. It's doing a work. It's creating in you and I patience, perseverance, spiritual maturity. And all God's people said, amen. It's a part of it. Now, let me go back because I want to pick up in verse 6. Because he goes on in verse 5, he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Now, everybody look this way. When you and I are going through suffering, trials, and difficulties, sometimes we don't understand, right? We, we kind of think, God, why is this happening to me? God, what are you doing in all of this? God, I just can't see you in this. And in those moments, we have to ask for what? We have to ask for wisdom. God, give me the wisdom to understand what you're doing right now in my life. But then in verse 6, he says this. He said, listen and watch it. In verse 6, he says, but when he asks, when you and I ask, in example, verse 5, wisdom, but when we ask, when we pray, he must believe and not what? And not doubt. Because he who doubts is like the wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think that he will receive anything from the Lord. Now watch this. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. The greatest threat when you and I are going through a trial is, is doubt. Doubt can creep in. In fact, I wrote this down. Doubt is a vacillating, in and out, up and down, immature faith that James said is like the ocean. You know when you go to the ocean and you watch the, you watch the surf, it goes out, it comes in. It goes out, it comes in. And James said the danger is, is that you and I, our prayer life, our faith can look like that. It's kind of up it's down, it's in, it's out. It just, it, it, it's vacillating, it's changing. It, it, we, we can't seem to find something and settle down. Does that make sense? Am I making sense here? I want you to, let me give you a good illustration. Go back to Genesis 49. Take a, take a left, go all the way back to the first book in your Bible, Genesis chapter 49. This to me is a fascinating look at a parent talking to his kids. Jacob, you remember, Jacob has now gone to Egypt. Jacob is an old man. Jacob has 12 sons, you remember? He's been reunited with Joseph, who you remember has been down in Egypt. Now, in chapter 49, everybody look this way. In chapter 49, Jacob is on his deathbed. Debbie, much like your mom was when she brought all of you in, every one of you, and spoke personally to each one of you, which is what David, uh, De uh, Debbie's mom did. Jacob brings each one of his sons in to speak to them. Now watch this. Look at this. Genesis chapter 49, beginning at verse 1. Then Jacob called for his sons and said, gather around. Now watch this so I can tell you what will happen to you in days to come. 
Verse 2, assemble and listen, sons of Jacob. Listen to your father Israel. Now, look at verse 3. Is everybody there? Say amen. amen. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, the first sign of my strength, excelling in honor, excelling in power. Now, look at verse 4. Turbulent as the waters, you will no longer excel. And he goes on to tell him why. If you remember, because Reuben, Jacob's oldest, had slept with his concubine. And because of that, Jacob said to his oldest, his firstborn, to Reuben, he said, Reuben, you are turbulent as water. You're as unstable as water. In essence, you are a, not a man of conviction or principles or spiritual truths. You're double-minded. You're unstable. I can't depend on you. That's what James is saying here. The enemy, when you and I are in suffering, when we're in trials, when we're in a difficulty. Listen, this past week, David and Debbie went to a funeral. A dear couple who they had known friendship, who had taught at the Baptist Children's Village who felt they could never have children, who eventually adopted a child. Eventually, she became pregnant. She had a child. That child was a year old, Sheila said, a beautiful little boy. This past week or the last couple of weeks, that child developed a fever. That fever shot up, put that child in convulsions, and they went to the funeral of that one-year-old that they felt was God's gift to them. David and Debbie have said this over and over again. They said everything about that funeral, everything about the loss of that one-year-old beautiful little boy, that miracle that they saw, was everything was about giving God the glory for the time they had had with that little boy. And you may say, man, how could family, how could parents do that? How can you survive the loss of your child? Everybody listen, you may be there one day. God will give you His grace when you need it and not a minute before. But your enemy, Satan, what he'll do when you and I are going through difficulties, suffering, trials, maybe somebody's hurting you right now, maybe you're feeling the pain of a relationship, whatever it is, God is doing a work in you, God is doing a work through you. But your enemy is after your faith. Your enemy wants you to doubt. Your enemy wants to affect your life, your prayer life. You remember, in, in, in fact, let's just take a left. Look at Matthew chapter 14, and because I turned to it, I just opened my Bible and turned to it. We'll look at it. Look at, at Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Because this is a, this is a great picture of you and I. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 22, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him on the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray, and when evening came, he was there alone, verse 24. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. 
But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Now I love this. Look at verse 28. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. Now look at verse 30. Are you there? Say amen. But when Peter saw what? The wind. He was what? He was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand, caught him, you of little what? You of little faith, he said, why did you what? Why did you die? That's a beautiful picture of you and I in a storm. Let me ask you a question. Pop quiz. Why did Peter sink? What? He took his eyes off of Jesus, right? And what was he looking at? He was looking at his circumstances. All of a sudden, he was looking at his circumstances. He was looking at the situation that he was in. He was looking at his problem, his trial, his difficulty. And my friend, it was overwhelming to him. And that's your enemy. Your enemy will put you and I in a place of suffering, pain, heartache, when things are not going well, and the enemy's after your faith. He wants you to live in doubt, uncertainty, in and out, up and down. He's going after your faith. And what he wants you to do, he wants you to get your eyes off of Christ and put it on whatever situation and circumstance you're in, because once you have done that, everybody listen, look this way, you start sinking in your suffering, your crisis, your trial. He was walking on water, and now he's sinking down into it. Why do you and I sink in trials? Because what? We get our eyes off of Jesus. Warren Wiersbe said this. He said, many Christians live like corks on the water. They're up one minute, down the next, tossed back and forth. Listen to what Paul said in Ephesians 4.14. I just bought me an Amplified Bible. Man, I'm enjoying that. Paul wrote this to the Ephesians. He said, so that we are no longer children, spiritually immature, tossed back and forth like ships on a stormy sea, carried about by every wind of shifting doctrine, by cunning and trickery of unscrupulous men, by the deceitful scheming of people ready to do anything for personal profit. You know what Paul said? He said to the church at Ephesus, if you and I are not careful, we look like court on water we're just tossed by whatever comes our way uh, it's powerful in fact from Matthew 14 go back to Matthew 11 I want you to see this in Matthew chapter 11 verse 2 watch this in Matthew chapter 11 verse 2 it said when John heard in prison what Jesus was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Everybody listen closely. Is this not the forerunner? Is this not the one when Jesus came down to the Jordan? He said, behold the Lamb of God who washes away the sins of the world. Now wait a minute. 
Where is he now? He's in a dungeon. He's about to die. He literally has one window. This outdoorsman, this man that lived in the wilderness, all of a sudden is in his circumstances, his situation. He's in prison. He sends his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the anointed one or should we look for somebody else? Did I mess up? Did I get it wrong? My friend, that's what the enemy does when you and I are in suffering, trials, difficulties. He brings doubt, uncertainties after your faith. Here, John the Baptist sends his disciples. He's not embarrassed. He's not ashamed. He said, go to Jesus and ask him, did I get it wrong? Have you ever been there? I have. When that doubt creeps in on your soul to the depth that you just think to yourself, is it even worth it? Is it even, listen to this, is it even real? You been there? Is Genesis 1 true? Is Genesis 2 true? Is Jesus an, is Jesus an historical figure? Did He perform the miracles? Did He die on a cross? Was He resurrected? Listen, the enemy goes after the central beliefs, the truths of what you're standing on. And I love this. Watch this. Look at this. Look at verse 4. Jesus replied, you go back and you tell John the Baptist, I am horribly disappointed in him. He is really disappointed in me. He is such a failure. No, look at verse 4 of Matthew 11. Go back and report to John what you hear and see. I love this. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The death here. The dead are raised up. The good news is preached to the, to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. You know, what, you know what Luke tells us? You know what Jesus did? Jesus put on a live demonstration before John the Baptist, before his disciples. He started healing the sick, restoring the sight to the blind, making the lame walk. He raised up the dead. It wasn't Lazarus. He started doing all of that. And then he said, now go back and tell John what you saw. When you and I are in doubt and difficulty, when our faith is under fire, when we feel like throwing in the towel, giving up, that's the voice of your enemy, Satan. And all you and I have to do is fix our eyes on Jesus and say, Lord, I'm in a low place right now. I'm discouraged. I feel defeated. I'm hurting right now. And I need a clear word from you, God. I need you right now. And my friend, God didn't reprimand John the Baptist. He reaffirmed and reestablished his faith. And boy, did John come out of it. You better believe he did. He went on to become a martyr and was beheaded for his faith. Jesus loves you too much. You know what Jesus did in verse 7? He went, on to, he went on to affirm John the Baptist. You know what he said? He said, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? Swaying by the wind? No, you went out and you found a man. A man of faith. A man of God. Wow. Why? What does the enemy want? Look at verse 8. What does he want? He wants a double-minded man, a double-minded woman. Because why? They are unstable in all their ways. 
I wrote down here, that person, that person, that double-minded man or woman makes a poor Christian, makes a poor husband, a poor wife, a poor parent, a poor sibling, a poor child, a poor church member, and a poor witness for Christ. Because the world cares nothing about you looking at you and I when things are going well. They look at us when we are appearing as if we are losing, as if everything is going wrong. When they're burying a one-year-old beautiful baby, and Sheila said, she said, that boy was absolutely beautiful, gorgeous. And those parents who literally, in a moment, that child's fever shot up, went into convulsion, and he was gone. What they thought was a gift from God and was a gift from God. And you know what they said? They went to that funeral in New Orleans and they said it was nothing but about lifting up Jesus Christ. My friend, your enemy's going after your faith. And if he can get to your faith, if he can bring doubt creeping into your soul, if he can, and hey, listen, sometimes we just shut down. You know, John didn't, Baptist didn't shut down. He looked at the people around him. He said, listen, maybe I've messed up. Maybe something's wrong. Man, I'm hurting. You go ask Jesus. Go to Jesus. Sometimes you have to look at somebody else and say, listen, I'm hurting so bad right now, I can't even pray. And you know what you do as a man or woman of God, parakaleo in the Greek, I beseech. It's that picture, that man or woman who comes alongside, who's somebody who's down and defeated, discouraged, about ready to throw in the towel, doubts creeping in. It's that person who gets down, looks at them in the eye and says, we're going to get up. We're going to make it through this. I'm praying for you. I love you. You're going to be all right. We're going to get through this. Come on now, stand with me. Wow. And the world watches that. Imagine you're on a plane. Imagine that plane is in the middle of a storm and a pilot comes on. He, he, he says these words, folks. We, we, you know, you kind of hear him making those sounds. Whew, we got a problem. And I don't have no idea what we're going to do. I thought about turning this plane around, but we can't do that. We don't have enough fuel. I, 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 and I'm the pilot's talking to you. I, I, I thought about climbing higher, but we can't do that. I, I thought about trying to go around this storm, but we, we can't do that either. I thought about just putting it on a, autopilot and coming back here and just sitting with y'all and fellowshipping with you. Let me ask you something. What, if you were on that airplane, what would you think? I've been in some of those storms. When I went to Mayo, I went, we went through an unbelievable storm. Sheila would tell you, that plane wasn't dropping this way. When you get those storms blowing that plane that way, and they're jerking you, and the pilot, the pilot in all my years of flying, Africa, Europe, and all my years, the pilot's voice broke, and he said, it, it, it broke, and he said, sit down now, telling the flight attendant, sit down now. You know, um, sometimes you and I look like that. We get into these storms, we get into these difficulties, we get into these trials, and, and if we're not careful, we forget that the, the world is watching to see how we're handling this. 
I laughed because I, I thought about this story talking about flying uh, Italiano Airlines. Uh, years of flight, Italiano Airlines was flying, the plane was full, and all of a sudden an engine went out. And the pilot came on. He said, folks, uh, as you can tell, we've had an engine go out, but we've still got two more. And a little while later, he came back on. Another engine had gone out. And then finally, the third engine had gone out. And so he came on. The pilot came on. He said, folks, I want to ask you if you can swim, because they were out over the Atlantic. He said, if you can swim, I'll need all my swimmers to move over to the left side. Now, we're going to try to make an emergency landing on the ocean, and I need you to be aware of the fact of where those places are so you can swim. And then he said, all non-swimmers, I'll ask you to move to the right. And he said, he gave some instructions to those on the left. He said, remember, when, you, when we hit the water, remember, go to those exits as best you can and be prepared to swim. And now to all the non-swimmers on the right, we would like to thank you for flying Italiano Airlines. You know, sometimes that's the way we sound, isn't it? Yeah, imagine when you're in a storm and a difficulty and you look and you say, you know, God's got this. God's got this. I don't know how it's going to work out, but God's got this. Now, let me tell you, I'm in a, I'm in a, in, in a precarious place here because I'm halfway through this message and I want to give you something because I don't want to leave it here. I want to move just a little bit farther and then we'll close. Because the second point is, sometimes when you and I get in a storm, when we get in suffering, when we get in a difficulty, we are not only battling with doubt. Everybody listen. We're battling with temptation, right? All of a sudden we start struggling with temptation. We can even struggle with sin. Warren Wiersbe said this. He said, why did James connect the two? Simply this. If we are not careful, the testings on the outside may become temptations on the inside. When our circumstances are difficult, we may find ourselves, listen to this, complaining against God, questioning His love, and resisting His will. At this point, Satan provides us with an opportunity to escape the difficulty, and the opportunity is temptation. Watch this. Look at verse 14. In verse 13, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. When you and I are at that place where now the enemy not only has us in doubt, but it, the enemy's dangling in front of us a real temptation. First thing, everybody look this way, there's nobody to blame. We can't blame God. Because God's incapable of evil. God doesn't tempt God may test, but God doesn't tempt. Well, then what happens? Listen, everybody listen. Sin is a process. Temptation, the process of sin. Watch verse 14. But each one is tempted when by his own what? His evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. So first of all, it begins with desire. In other words, what the enemy does, I'm at a low place, I'm vulnerable now, I'm struggling in my faith, and then he dangles a temptation now because he's ready to take me out, 
disqualify me. He can't steal my salvation. He takes the joy of my salvation. He recognizes that I'm weak. I'm anemic. I'm struggling. I've got all this doubt. My faith is beginning to falter. And in that moment now, he begins to dangle temptations in front of us. And he does it, first of all, with desire. Lust means any desire, passion, or need. Let me give you an example. You hunger, you thirst, you want sex, you want to sleep. All of these are natural desires, and if you and I didn't have them, we would die. We would die. We would cease to exist. The problem is is that these desires, the enemy takes them and begins to use them to lord over our life, to master our life. Before long, they begin to control our life. God, Now listen, God gives us His law, but I start me, hey, He says, hey, sex is good in a monogamous marriage relationship of one man, one woman. But all of a sudden, the enemy says, hey, wait a minute, you don't have to do that. Get out here. Here's adultery. Here's uh, pornography. We'll fill this need this way. We get outside God's boundaries. Why? Because the enemy uses that desire, that passion, and begins to play with us and toy it, put it in front of us. We can be hunger, hungry, but it can turn into gluttony and we can destroy our health. From desire, we move to deception. Now temptation, but each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he's dragged away and enticed. Man, isn't that strong? Temptation, now the enemy has you where he wants you to be. He's working now on your passion. He's working on these normal desires that you have. Now all of a sudden he's trying to pull you out of God's law and get you to fulfill those desires in a way that's contrary to his word. So then comes deception. From desire, deception, one writer said, temptations always carry with it some bait that appeals to our desire, our passion, our normal biological needs. It is the idea of a hunter baiting a trap or a fisherman using a lure and a hook. And listen to this, the bait always hides the consequences of the sin or the act of disobedience. What does the enemy do? You and I are struggling. We're at a low point in our life. Doubt, uncertainty. We're, 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 we're wrestling in our faith. And all of a sudden, what does the enemy do? He starts, hey, listen, he starts dangling a lure, baiting a hook. He starts putting something in the trap. What is he trying to do? He's trying to coax you and I out of God's Word, out of God's law, out of God's will, out of God's purpose, out of God's plan. The enemy has you where he wants you now. And he begins to use that, that desire. And then he begins to deceive David as he looked at Bathsheba on that rooftop. And let me read that principle again. The bait hides the consequences of sin and disobedience. David had no idea that that simple act of adultery with Bathsheba would result in the death of Uriah, would make him a murderer, with the death of the baby that would be in Bathsheba's womb, and the loss of his integrity. And listen to this. His act brought the sword to his family forever. Sin is never a private matter. And what the enemy does, he knows he's got you now. 
And he begins to coax you and pull you away. And before desire, desire, then deception, and finally disobedience, now the will's involved. You make the decision. You remember when David looked and he said, I want her. And you know what one of the servants said? That'll always be the voice of God. You'll either have to quench it or grieve it. A servant said to David, he said, is that not Uriah's wife? You know what David said? I blankety-blank don't care whose wife it is. Get her for me. He had no idea. He had no idea his children, the heartache and the suffering, the rapes, the murders, and how his life would be changed. I'm counseling a man who murdered his wife, shot his wife on a Monday morning as she was getting ready to go to work. One little daughter. Counseling that man, he made this statement. He said, I can sum up all our heartache, all our... And he just weeps and cries and weeps and cries and he can't turn back the clock. He said, it all began when we got out of church. And he was right. And now his wife is dead and he has no relationship with his daughter. And he sat over a year locked away in a home and can't even walk out on his back patio to his swimming pool. That's the enemy. Finally, it leads to implementing the will. The trap is set. And there's an act of disobedience. And then finally, look what happens. Look at verse 15, and we'll close in a moment. Then after desires conceived, gives birth to sin. Sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to what? Death. Everybody listen closely. When you and I are in a storm, we're in a difficulty. We're struggling, just as James was writing to those people scattered all over that Roman Empire. They were losing everything. They were suffering. When the enemy gets us to a place of doubt, uncertainty, where all of a sudden we're hurting and we're suffering and we're asking God why and we're just struggling. The enemy, we are primed and ready for the enemy to tempt us to bring into our life a temptation because let me tell you what he's trying to do. He's trying to take you and I completely out of the picture to disqualify us. Let me close with this illustration and I don't mean to hurt anybody and I know there are women that have gone through this and let me tell you, the loss of a child is a horrible thing for a woman to have a miscarriage or to lose a baby. There's nothing worse. And I believe this. I believe that every child that is conceived will one day be in heaven. I believe that. Even the nearly 70 million we've murdered. I was a college kid. I'd gone to, I was going to school in the day. I was going to school at night, getting my emergency EMT license, working with an ambulance service. As of yet, I'd never delivered a baby. And I know, ladies, we don't deliver, you do. But you know what I mean. One night, we'd gone to bed. It was Friday or Saturday night when all of a sudden, man, there was a pounding on the door. I mean, a banging on the door. That wasn't the first time because sometimes people would come to the ambulance service. We were well-qualified, trained. Our equipment was, was state-of-the-art. We were very good at what we do. We went to the door, went to the door. There was a dad. He was frantic, a husband, 
who looked at me and he said, my wife is in the vehicle. Her, she's, she's, she's getting ready to have a baby any moment. So we go running out there. Good looking couple. Great. This was their first. She was full term. He said, we, her doctor's in Jackson. We want to take her to Jackson. So I'm, I'm in the back. I have this woman in the back of the, of the ambulance. And I'm trying to assess if we can get her to Jackson before the baby gets there. And I'll never forget, it was awkward. She was a beautiful woman. And here I was, college guy, you know, and just kind of, you know, kind of embarrassed. And she smiled and said, just cut them off, do whatever you have to do, and do what you got to do. And I'll never forget, and any woman who's had a baby understands this, that when the labor pain would come, the baby's head would show, and she was crowning. And when, when a baby's crowning, you're putting pressure on the head to keep that baby head, that head from exploding out and tearing the mother. So you've got a lot going on. When the baby comes out, when the head comes out, you're sitting there with trying to, when we're talking about in the 70s, you're sitting there to suction the baby, clear the airway, and you've got all this going on, the slimy baby. You've sometimes got amniotics fluid that's splashed on you in the process. I mean, it's something. You're down there in the middle of it. But something was wrong. The dad was in the front in the ambulance. I leaned up and I said, we're not going to make it to Jackson. You need to, you need to go to the ER here in the local hospital. Mom was saying, is my baby all right? No. We got to the ER. Other medical people were there. We did all we could do, but the baby was gone. All the hopes and the dreams, everything gone. And I'll never forget, I can still see me to this day pushing that stretcher as we were now taking her for a surgical procedure to finish up the painful task of cleaning up her womb. And she was crying looking at me. And to be honest with you, I was crying looking at her as I was rolling her down that hospital. And I want everybody to listen to me. You don't hear anything else. You listen now. Sin always brings death. You may say, well, what does that have to do with that illustration? Because that illustration, listen, all of the promise, all of the joy, all the excitement, everything, all the promises of that baby were gone. Sin does that. Listen, sin, whether it be sex, whether it be whatever it may be, sin brings promises that it cannot keep. Sin always brings death and nothing else. No exception. 
You're messing around. You're doing something you know is contrary to God's will, His purpose, His plan. You're living your life outside God's will right now. You're dabbling. You're flirting with. You're doing some things that you know in your heart and the Holy Spirit has made clear that you know it's wrong. But somehow the enemy's convinced you that it's all right. You're justified. You have a right. You get away with it. My friend, it will always, 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 always breed and deliver death. No exception. And God loves you too much. He loves you so much that he took your sin, my sin, nailed it to Calvary, paid the penalty for it, set you free from it. He set you free, listen, from the penalty of sin. When you give your life to Christ, He sets you free from the penalty of sin. But I want everybody to listen. Until you and I get to heaven, we are not yet set free from the power of sin on our life. Right? We're living in a fallen world, in a fallen body, and the enemy knows that. And what is the enemy doing? Brings doubt, attacks your faith, and then he starts attacking your credibility. And when you fall, great is the fall. I want you to stand with heads bowed and with eyes closed. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you right now, and Lord, we thank you and praise you. We thank you, dear Lord, for your word. We thank you for how it speaks to our hearts and our lives, and we just give you glory and honor. Lord, I know it may have gone a little bit long, but Lord, I know that this sermon is so needed in the lives of so many men and women who may right now be at a vulnerable place right now. Some may be listening later on. They're at a place right now where they're vulnerable, where the enemy has got a foothold, where the enemy is trying to right now pull them away from everything they know to be right and to be good. So, Lord, we pray. There's plenty of people out there that bait the lure. There's plenty of people that put things in the trap. And, Lord, it's so easy to get caught up in sin. But when we are suffering, when we're hurting, when we're discouraged, when we're dealing with doubt, the enemy has a stronghold that he otherwise might not have. When we're weak in our faith, he comes with everything that he has. Why? Because he's trying to silence once and for all our witness. May we never forget men like Ravi Zacharias. Ravi Zacharias had unbelievable apologetic skills. No man was a more formidable foe in arguing for the faith and the gospel. He spoke all over the world. But that sexual addiction that immoral stronghold on his life, that battle behind that closed door, that sin which doth so easily beset Ravi, in the end would destroy him and he died of cancer. And his witness, his credibility, everything was gone. And oh Lord, when I listened to his daughter, that beautiful, precious, grown daughter who wept and cried over her dad and was asking God why, why? So, Lord, we pray right now. I pray, dear Lord, if there's someone here, first of all, that doesn't know you, that they'll give your life, they'll give their life to you today. 
repent of their sin. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Live in me. For others that may be here, they may say, you know, Brother Jeff, I'm, I'm there. I'm low right now. I'm struggling. I'm scared. And I'm, I'm, I'm about to make some bad decisions. I need you to pray with me. Or maybe people just need to come to this altar. Maybe they need to take somebody. Will you pray for me? Lord, speak to us. Speak to us. And may we be obedient and we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You come. May never be a moment like this moment right now. You come.